This is the parable of the lost coin. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them as well. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. May God give us understanding of this portion of scripture. Amen. Um, it's lovely to see you all. Um, for those who don't know me, my name's Danny, um, and myself and Rory have been involved um, with the church here at St. Francis for the last five years. But more recently, we um, go up to Hope Church, which is our sort of church plant up in the old Sarum Estate. So that's where you'll typically find us on a Sunday morning. Um, but it's really great to be with you. Um, and firstly, apologies if anything I say repeats what John Cole shared last week, because I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. But if it does, I feel like you can just take it as maybe something that God really wants you to hear. But if I'm honest, when I was given the portion of scripture around the lost coin to preach on, I was, I was trying to work out how I was going to fill enough to say a sermon. Because when you really think about it, it's quite a simple message, isn't it? It's quite, you know, easy. I was like, how am I going to pad out 10, 15 minutes? Um, but as I've spent some time with it this week, as I've been praying through it, I really feel God has brought it to life for me. So I hope it's the same for you this morning. Now, if I was to give my message a title, it would be who's in and who's out. Because for me, that is at the heart of what this message, this parable is all about. And it's a question that I think we still need to answer today. So as Maggie read, the parable we're talking about is from Luke chapter 15. And the situation in which Jesus shares this parable is shared in those first two verses. It says now the tax collectors and the sinners, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered to one another, this man, this man, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So maybe you could do your best whispering or muttering to the person next to you. I'm not very good at doing quiet muttering or whispering. I'm actually quite not very subtle when it comes to uh, trying to give Rory particularly hints, maybe where we're with other people. But Jesus was teaching the tax collectors and sinners whilst the Pharisees muttered, it says, under their breath. And I love the idea of the muttering. You can imagine it, can't you? That they were there and they were watching Jesus and they were muttering to one another. They were saying, what's this guy doing? Like, why is he eating with, with it? And maybe they weren't so subtle about it. But notice that the Pharisees didn't complain about the fact that Jesus was teaching sinners. The thing that he, they were actually really stressed about was the fact that Jesus was welcoming and eating with the sinners. Now to understand the significance of this opening chapter in, in, in Luke 15, 
We must consider that within the Jewish culture, honor and shame were a huge, huge part of the system. And it had developed a sort of caste system where perhaps there were some that were in and some that were out, and they really felt that really strongly. And virtually everything that was done in Jewish culture either brought shame or it brought honor. And this was the central and all-consuming preoccupation within Jewish culture. And in Jesus' time, in the Jewish culture, eating with people who were seen as less than was deeply, deeply shameful. And the people that Jesus was hanging around with in this, in this parable, in this story in scripture, that was not honorable for the Jews. They were the outcasts and the outsiders. And so Jesus responds to their distaste by telling them three stories, which we're going to be looking at over the three weeks. So last week, you looked at the lost, sh lost sheep. This week, we're looking at the lost coin. And next week, we're going to be looking at the lost sons. And each one of those parables sort of builds on each other. And it's, they're more progressive and slightly more harrowing than the one before within Jewish culture. But I've got a question for you all. What is a parable and why did Jesus use them? We talk a lot about parables at church. We don't typically use parables very much in our common language today, but maybe turn to the person next to you. What is a parable and why did Jesus use them? So maybe you said something about how it's like a story or an illustration to tell us something about God's kingdom. And that's, that's exactly what it is. In these parables, in the parables that Jesus uses all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus was revealing really rich truths about God's kingdom by, and, and really telling them about deep biblical principles in ways that were easy for those who were around them to understand. Now, Jesus told parables all the time. And we see that he used lots of things that would have been surrounding them in their culture. He talked about coins, sheep, rich men, poor men, Samaritans, sons, fathers, wives, farmers, mustard seeds. Lots of imagery that perhaps feels sometimes a little bit distant for us. But actually for the people in the Jewish culture at the time, it meant a huge, huge amount. And Jesus' parables often remained a mystery to those with hardened hearts because they perhaps didn't do the work that it required to have that self-reflection and to put themselves in the appropriate place in the story. So let's look at the, the, the parable that Jesus tells this morning, the parable of the lost coin, to explain to the Pharisees why he was welcoming these tax collectors and sinners. And as we do, again, turn to the person next to you, love you to answer, what is the most valuable thing that you have ever lost? What is the most valuable thing that you've ever lost? Turn to the person, a minute or so. Has anyone got anything they want to share? Anyone want to confess the most valuable thing they've lost? A child. Yeah, that's, that's pretty up there. Yep, I've, I've, we've yet to fully lose our two-year-old, but I can see that that may happen in the future. Wedding ring. Yep, yep, a few people. Wedding rings. Any other advances on wedding rings and children? Well, I was going to say a family member of mine lost the £7,000 diamond out of their engagement ring whilst they were out walking the dog one day. Bit of an insurance nightmare. Um, but for me, I recently lost both my bank card 
and Rory's credit card out of my purse. And I searched all my bags, all my coats, pockets, like everything I could possibly look for, because I traveled quite a lot of work, so it was quite likely they were in different places, and they weren't in anywhere. They were, they were nowhere to be found. And so I had to cancel them both. I had to call Rory and say, sorry, love, I've lost your credit card. Um, and we canceled both cards. Two days later, huh, I was playing with my daughter, and in her toy till, what did I find? <laughs> two toys, two credit cards. So yes, it was just a sad thing of having to then wait for them to arrive. But those were some valuable things, whether it's jewelry, whether it's coins, whether it's cards, we've all lost something. And almost all the parables that Jesus shared are spoken in a way that are relatable to both the rich and the poor, the educated and the uneducated. And so I'm sure all of us will remember a time where we've lost money whether it was a note, a wallet, a bank card, or a coin like the woman in the story, it makes this parable relatable. We've all been there. We, we can imagine the woman turning her house upside down, trying to find it. And even in today's culture, while sometimes parables can feel quite distant, perhaps images that were more relatable to the first century Jewish culture, the idea of losing money is something that we can all understand. And we can sympathize as she searches under the table, behind the washing basket, under the beds. She searches in her pockets, inside her coats, willing her to try and find this one coin. But I'm sure there are other of us who might say, well, you've got 10 coins, the story says. You've lost one, so you've still got nine coins. 90%, that's pretty good, you know. But why did that one coin matter so much to her? And what I want to do now is hand out some coins. So I'd love a couple of helpers. Is there anyone who'd be willing to come and hand out some coins? Um, what I want to do is everyone to take a coin. And please, if you have small people, you are responsible for them not putting said coin in their mouth. So as you, as you pick up your coin, you, this is the image of the one coin that she's lost. You might want to play a game with yourself. Can you work out which country the coin is from? Because they are coins that I have collected over the last 30 two years of my life, um, so, and you're welcome to keep it. So if you get the one euro, you're really lucky. If you've got the one P, sorry about that. But keep that coin and have a little look at it for a second. I'll just wait till everyone's got their coins, so the jingly jangling. So why does this one coin matter so much to her? Well, this is my favorite coin. This is actually a coin from Denmark, not just because I like Denmark, but I love the fact that their coins have holes, you probably can't see from here, but they've got holes in the middle of it, and they've got love hearts on their coins. I just think it's really lovely. So this is my favorite coin, but the Greek words, any spare coins can come back at the front, or you can take two. Um, the Greek word for the coin that they were looking for was a drachma which in the Greek, at the, at the time, that was equivalent to about a day's wages. So not a sort of one pence or a five pence coin that you or I are holding. These were coins that were deeply, deeply valuable. And some commentaries also suggest that these coins were possibly connected to the woman's bridal jewelry that she got given by her husband on her wedding day. And the piece was worn and it was really valuable. So it's no surprise if she lost one of these coins that either was a day's wages or from her wedding jewelry, a bit like that wedding ring. Thank you so much. She would have been deeply concerned. 
So as I say, don't think about them as 5p coins or whatever value of coin, corona or dollar that you've got in your hand. But I also think that Jesus' metaphor of a coin here is really powerful, not just because of the kind of worth it had there, but if you look at the coin in your hand, what is it that makes that coin not just a piece of metal? What is it about this coin that makes it precious? It's because on it has been stamped either the image or a symbol of the government or the king or the leader of of whatever country it comes from. So if you're in the UK at the moment, you're probably going to get a Queen Elizabeth coin still, but there are some King Charles coins in circulation. Thank you so much. But depending on which country you've got there, you'll have different things stamped on it. And it's that image that's stamped on it that makes that coin valuable, that turns it from a piece of metal into something that can be exchanged for goods. And likewise, it really struck me that it's the image of God that's stamped on each person that makes them valuable. Each person, whatever their background, preferences, orientations, theological perspectives, intellect, is made in the image of God and therefore is precious to God like that coin that the woman was searching for. So eventually the coin is found and she needs to search no more. No doubt she's tired and relieved. However, Jesus goes on to tell us that the woman wasn't content to hide the fact that she'd lost this coin and now found it. I don't know about you, but if I do something a bit silly like that, I tend to try and like pretend like it didn't happen. But actually what this woman does is she goes out onto the streets and she says, friends, neighbors, like rejoice with me, let's party because I have found my precious coin. And the story ends with Jesus declaring that the same rejoicing is found in heaven when one sinner repents and they're welcomed into God's family. And Jesus is telling this story to the tax collector and the sinner who he sat next to, who've heard the Pharisees muttering, and Jesus is telling this story. And he's saying that no matter how many religious leaders there are, you are valuable to God. God will diligently, like this woman, seek you out. He'll he'll turn over every item in the house until you have been found. And when you are found, he will rejoice in heaven. He was saying to these people that they were in, that they were included in the kingdom of God. In fact, the kingdom of God belonged to people like this. Where their society saw them as shameful, they were chosen and included. But Jesus, as we say, the parables often dress to both the kind of rich and the poor, the educated, the uneducated. Jesus was also addressing this to the religious leaders. And I believe he was wanting them to know how valuable the lost coin or person was to himself. These tax collectors and sinners that Jesus was sat with were not far off from God and forgotten in an out-of-sight, kind of of out-of-mind way, but rather God spends time and effort looking for them, drawing them to himself and welcoming them in with a celebration when they come home. And upon careful examination, as you look at that coin in your hand, we can see that Jesus was turning his listeners' understanding of things upside down. The Pharisees saw themselves as being the beloved of God, that they were the chosen ones, they were the in crowd, and those tax collectors and sinners, they were out. 
And Jesus uses the religious leaders' prejudice against them while encouraging the sinners with that one clear message that the kingdom of God is open for the outsider, for the last, the least, and the lost. And God has a joyous love for individuals who are lost and then found like that coin. So I asked at the beginning, who's in and who's out? That would be the title I'd give this. And Jesus makes it clear in this parable that the Pharisees who thought they were close to God were actually potentially distant and that the sinners and the tax collectors that he was eating with are the ones that God was seeking after. And before the end of my message there, I thought it was worth reflecting briefly on the journey through these three parables that we've heard, that that we're looking at this series. Can we remember what they are? So the first one is the sheep, second one is the coin, and the third one is going to be next week's message around the lost son. But I'm really struck by the progression of the value of the lost items. So in the first parable, the sheep is lost, silver coin, and then the son. And as mentioned before, in the Jewish culture, honor and shame was a big thing. So to lose a sheep as a shepherd, that's quite a big deal. That's quite, you know, that would have been quite shameful. That's your one job was to look after the sheep and you have lost it. The second one, this woman, it's her day's wages or this bridal jewelry that she'd been given. And she loses it in her own house. Like not even out walking the dogs, like at your own house. That's like really embarrassing. But then the lost son which was the worst of all in Jewish culture. But also notice the progression. This really struck me this week, how Jesus starts by talking about the sheep, where he talks about God's going out for the one in a hundred sheep. In our story today, he's going out for the one in ten coins. And in the story of the lost son, he's going out for one of two sons. And for me, there was just something really profound in both of those progressions that shows the depth of God's personal concern for the individual and the value he places on all people. God can be understood in the story as the person doing the searching. He's the shepherd, he's the woman losing with the coin, and he's the father seeking after the son. And God isn't concerned about looking shameful or being embarrassed or breaking honor and shame taboos. In fact, he's so concerned that all people come to know him, that he'll go to any lengths for them. It would have been of great comfort to the sinners that Jesus was talking to. So what does this mean for us today as we come to a land? It's sort of similarly comforting. As I said, you kind of read the message and you're like, yeah, that's great. That's good. That But I think if we do the self-reflective work that sometimes parables require of us, it's also perhaps a little bit uncomfortable. Like the Pharisees, I think we as followers of Jesus can be guilty of subconsciously or perhaps publicly believing that some people are in the gang and some people are out. That the people have got their act together, the people that look like us, the people that think like us, the people that believe what we believe, the people that are easy to like, they're the ones that God really loves. And when we look at the church universal, I wonder, are, they, are our churches full of tax collectors and sinners? Now, it's easy for us to kind of say, yes, well, of course, we're all sinners, and we all fall short of the glory of God. And so the answer is yes. And I think, yes, that's absolutely true. But I think we perhaps miss part of the richness of this parable if we limit it to that. This series of parables that Jesus told in response to being challenged about who he was eating with, who he was spending his time with, it's a message of redemption. Redemption. 
for people who've been cast out in society, a message of inclusion for people who might be considered other, and it's a message of blessing for those who might be marginalized or forgotten. Too often, I think we as the church universal are known for not including different types of people, gender, sexuality, race, social class, disability, difference of theology, and many more things have been and continue to be reasons why some people are excluded from around the table. But I often wonder how comfortable would Jesus feel in some of our churches and whether he'd be sitting with the same people that we're sat with. Jesus wasn't just teaching the tax collectors and sinners in order to teach them the errors of their ways. The religious leaders or Pharisees would have been quite happy with Jesus just telling them all the reasons why they were wrong. Instead, Jesus was actively including them. He was eating with them. He was making them his closest friends. And he saw each person like the coin that's in your hands, the precious image of God stamped upon them. And he wanted each person to know the relentless pursuing love of God that's seeking them out. Like the woman with the lost coin, the heavens rejoice when any person comes to know Jesus, not just when certain people do. And he wasn't comfortable with the religious elitism that thought they knew all the answers. And I think we too should be uncomfortable with believing that we know all the answers and we figured everything out when it comes to God because parables are constantly there, challenging our thinking and our understanding. And they remind us of the profound mysteries of the kingdom of God, the subversive nature of God's kingdom that turns many things on their heads. The kingdom where perhaps those we expect to be in are actually out and those who we believe should be out are actually in.